Well, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. While that might sound kind of strange for us to say Merry Christmas because we've experienced Christmas already, we have to understand that we've just finished Advent, and this is actually the first Sunday of Christmas today. I am super excited today that this is a family worship, and we have the children present with us here in the sanctuary. It reminds me of when Jesus was asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus took a child and he sat the child among them and he said, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest. And whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. So friends, let me remind you that we are among greatness this morning as we have welcomed the children into the room with us this morning. Well, our scripture passage today is about a child and a family. It's about a family trip marked by a moment when the child's parents inadvertently leave their child behind. Can you relate to such a situation? Has this happened to anyone in the room? Because it's happened to me. I've lost a child, but then found them. Has this happened to anyone? Let me see the hands. Has this happened? Oh, I love it. We're, we're being honest here. And so this, of course, from the scripture that we just read, we learned that it happened to none other than Jesus' family. Luke, the gospel writer, provides the account of Jesus at age 12, an incident exclusive to his gospel. And so whenever I read something like this, that it's just like exclusive to one gospel, I always ask myself the question, now why did Luke decide to include this seemingly ordinary event in the life of Jesus? Well, one reason that I think that Luke included it is because it actually happened. Luke, at the onset of his, of his gospel, declares his reliance on eyewitness accounts and this is one of them. And I think another reason, though, that Luke includes this is none other than it teaches us a lesson. I believe that Luke aims to foster a deeper relationship with God, inviting his readers to connect with God through Jesus, his son. And so today we enter this narrative to learn what God might be teaching us through this event of the life of the boy Jesus. Now, for those of us in the room who are caregivers, who are parents, who are relatives, who are teachers or guardians or friends, we naturally bear the responsibility of any children that are entrusted to our care, right? We, it's our job to keep them safe, to keep them well-fed, to educate them, to foster their growth, and to ensure their health and safety. We all need someone to help grow us and to guide us. Well, the process of growing up and guiding our children is not a job for the faint of heart, right? We've all been there. Along this journey, mistakes happen, and at times we as parents might feel completely lost and feel the need to backtrack. And ultimately, growing with our children involves a departure to a new home and this shift could involve a physical relocation, but hopefully it involves some mental and spiritual shifts as well. 
And so for those of us who are parents or teachers or caregivers, we're not surprised at, to learn of the panic that comes over Mary and Jesus when they discover that Jesus, their boy, has gone missing. Now to understand how they responded, I think we need to like dive down into the scripture here and to get a little bit of background. You see, it says that each year, Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem to partake of the Passover feast. Now, these Jewish families, they would travel together in flocks of friends and relatives, and they would travel by foot to Jerusalem. And this was a a celebrating time. They were excited because this festival held significance for them, commemorating their exodus from Egypt and God's liberation of the Egyptian slavery. And Mary and Joseph, they took their role seriously by having Jesus experience the consistent observance of the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And earlier in this chapter, we continue to read how serious they took in growing Jesus up in a pious home by taking him to the temple for his circumcision and and his um, dedication in the temple. These events illustrated the devoted commitment of Jesus' parents to grow him up in this pious home. This devotion continued year after year until in which the events unfold when Jesus is 12 years old. Now, this is a pivotal year for a Jewish boy. I wonder today, have any of you ever experienced like moments in your children's lives where it's marked by a certain age that there's milestones, things that happen, they're special? Well, in the Conrad home, I can remember the age 10 being very significant. It held a time when children were entrusted with new responsibilities, such as they now had to cut their own meat. A symbolic symbolic transition into greater independence. It also was a time when the children, the grandchildren would have driving lessons with grandpa on the John Deere Gator. Now, passing this test required independent gator driving, which was a momentous occasion. You can just ask any Conrad kid. That was a great time. But for a 12-year-old Jewish boy like Jesus, this year held specific weight as it was a preparation for adulthood. During this period, boys would work closely with a mentor, undergoing intense questioning, demonstrating proficiency in their chosen trade. Now for Jesus, this could have involved around carpentry. And I like to imagine that that Jesus was walking along with Joseph and he was experiencing intense questioning pertaining to the vocational skills that he was poised to master. Now we get to the point in this story now We just skip right to the end where the families are headed home. Passover is over. Everyone's packing up and they're headed home. And the text tells us that Mary and Joseph had traveled how long? How long did they go? An entire day. And then they realize they're getting ready to to camp and to sleep for the the night. And they're looking around. Has anybody seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Jesus. 
Have you seen Jesus? They realize that Jesus is not with them. Now, at first, we can tend to be kind of judgmental of Mary and Joseph. I mean, this was Jesus. You've lost it. But if you go into the context of and the culture of that time, this was normal to travel and realize that your child, you wouldn't see your child because everyone, this was a communal travel. Whoever was with you, you were responsible for that child. So at first, they probably weren't too concerned that they couldn't find Jesus. They probably thought he was with, you know, Aunt Elizabeth or Aunt Sarah. And so they begin this thorough search among their friends and relatives. And their efforts, though, we read, prove fruitless. Consequently, after a thorough search, they were convinced that Jesus is not with them. And so they decide to backtrack to Jerusalem. And there they find, after three days of searching, they find Jesus in the temple. Now, this was where a 12-year-old male priest in training would have been answering questions about the trade they would have for the next year as they were considered adults. I think it's interesting in this text here that it emphasizes that Jesus wasn't merely standing against the wall answering questions of the teachers, that he was sitting among the teachers. And he was seated there, astonishing everyone with his understanding and his wise responses. You see, Jesus is far beyond a priest in training, but he was teaching the teachers how to serve God. Now his parents, it says that they were equally amazed and astonished, but they were also pretty frustrated. Now you can imagine that if your child is missing for three days and you just find them sitting in the temple, who speaks first? The mother. Son, where have you been? (laughs) Now notice Mary's questions, his mother's questions, she says, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I were very worried about you. We've been searching everywhere. Now this, this term worried carries the weight of torment. And you can understand that as a parent, if you've been searching three days, you're going to feel tormented inside after searching. But Jesus responds to his mother's inquiry with questions of his own. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be where my father's work is? Imagine the look on Mary and Joseph's face. It says that, the text says that they don't even understand what he is saying. But I believe that this is where we need to stop because these words have deep significance in the text. You see, these are the first words we hear Jesus speak in the gospel. So they must carry a good bit of weight and have an important lesson for us. And at first when we read it, we can be tempted to think, well, what kind of question is that? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's work? We can, we can kind of be tempted to think that Jesus is kind of being a smart aleck, being snide, kind of avoiding his mother's torment here. 
But could it be that we, that Mary and Joseph, don't understand, and we don't understand even what he's asking? And so I would like for us today to invite us to respond like his mother. How does his mother respond? It says that she doesn't understand, but she ponders these things in her heart. What is Jesus trying to say? Let's hear those questions again. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be where my father's work is? One thing that this certainly reveals is that Jesus is is aware of his connection to God the Father. As the firstborn, Jesus belonged to God and should serve God as God's child. Notice that he doesn't address Joseph as father, and neither does the text. It says his mother, but it says his mother and Joseph. We can see here the incarnation, that Jesus is fully human, but he is fully God. And as we recognize Jesus' recognition of being connected to his heavenly father, perhaps there is more that we can learn from these questions. As I have pondered these questions, I begin to wonder if it wasn't Jesus who was lost, but Mary and Joseph Notice that they were searching everywhere for three days, but the text never says that they prayed or they went to the temple to ask God the Father where Jesus might be. Perhaps they could have avoided torment if they went to God first and that God would direct them to Jesus. With his questions and actions, Jesus seems to be growing something in Mary and Joseph. There seems to be a shift. In verse 52, when it states that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, I looked up that word increased, and it is, in the Greek word, it's prokopto, which means a hammering out, similar to a blacksmith refining metal. It, it, it signifies progression, a a kind of moving forward. You see, Jesus becomes the force, the catalyst that transforms and matures Mary and Joseph. Oh, children do that to us sometimes, don't they? They can challenge parents and as they view the world around us and God can use them to teach us some very important lessons. I vividly recall a particular moment in my life as a mom when our son Stephen was in the fourth grade. He came home telling us about this friend that he made. And at first I was super excited that he was making connections. I mean, we want our kids to have friends. But my shift kind of took a turn when I went to the school once as as a volunteer And I witnessed this child's behavior being very disruptive. And I became a very concerned parent. And so that night, I sat down with Stephen and I said, you know, maybe you should make some other friends other than this friend. And I'll never forget his response to me. It really taught me something. He says, Mom, if I'm not his friend, he has no friends. 
You see, his words struck a chord with me, prompted me to reflect on my own judgmental attitude. Rather than appreciating my son's role as a friend to someone in need, I had allowed what I thought were wise words to cloud my understanding. It was a powerful reminder to me to listen to my children because God can use them to teach me some important lessons. And I think that Jesus' questions to Mary struck a chord with her. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's work? In asking these questions, Jesus is reminding his mother of why he came, his mission. Perhaps it led her to recall the angel's proclamation that night in Bethlehem when the angels were singing and the shepherds were glorifying God. And later the magi came from the east with their gifts and their adoration. Or how about when Joseph's dream led them to Egypt and back? You see, Jesus' focus is on the Father and joining the Father's work in his world. So perhaps Jesus was challenging Mary and Joseph and us to do the same, to move towards the Father and to be about the Father's work. I thought about Mary and I realized that in this moment, it must require her to let go of her boy Jesus, the one she had swaddled, the one she had fed, the one that she had changed his diapers, the one that she had watched grow into this 12-year-old boy who was asking her these divine questions that are reminding her that Jesus would need to leave her home and to be about the Father's work. Jesus remained with her, but he didn't belong to her. He belonged to the Father, being about the Father's work. It was a spiritual shift inside of her that she needed to be like Jesus, not make Jesus like her. Well, what about us, friends? This morning, just as Mary and Joseph had to let go of their expectations and embrace Jesus' purpose, we too may need to let go of our own desires and plans for our children and our loved ones. We must recognize that they ultimately belong to Jesus. They belong to God and have their own unique callings. And let's remember that our role is not to mold our children who we want them to be, but to guide them towards God and his work. We must be willing to listen to our children, just as Mary and Joseph listened to Jesus. Because God can use our children to teach us valuable insights and lessons if we are open to receiving them. Friends, our journeys as followers of Christ can be challenging. Whether we're a parent, a grandparent, or whoever we are, the journey can be challenging. And we may make mistakes and feel lost at times. However, I believe that we can allow Jesus and his questions to be the force 
to grow us in our journey. He is modeled for us that desiring to be with the Father is our most important relationship. To read and to study his word, as well as teaching others about his word, is an important part of the Father's work. This past year, I was talking with one of our mentors in the hallway at Francis Slocum, and he was sharing with me of how God had shifted his prayer life. He said, you know, Vicki, I used to wake up in the morning and I would pray and I would tell God, this is who I'm going to be with. This is who, this is what I'm going to be doing. And God, I'd like for you to join me. But God shifted in him and he said, I started praying, God, where are you working today? I want to join you in that work. That was a beautiful reminder to me. Rather than looking elsewhere, I want to be engaging in the Father's work. Well, this morning, as I thought about how to close, I felt like we needed to say a prayer together. And I was thinking about it, and all of a sudden, I thought of these words, I am not my own, I am yours, Lord. And so this is a prayer of surrendering our life to God. It's John Wesley's covenant prayer. And if you've read anything about this, they usually pray this near January 1st. And so I thought it was fitting for us today, church, to pray this prayer together as we seek to follow Jesus and join the Father's work. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to say this prayer with you, pray this prayer with you as they have it on the screens. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praise for you or criticize for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen.